This is Germ Warfare, the battle of ideas. My name is Germ, this is Germ Warfare, the battle of ideas. James Walton, thank you for joining me in the trenches. Oh man, thanks for having me, Germ. Round two, appreciate it. And hopefully round two of many rounds. Yeah, most definitely, most definitely. It's a good time to have me around. <laughs> yes, uh, we're a little bit earlier because I have rolling blackouts at the moment. How's that for a segue? I couldn't believe it when you sent it. I said, man, that couldn't be more perfect. The day you have the prepper on, your government says, hey, rolling blackouts time, man. <laughs> you, might you, know what's, you know what's great, though, about having rolling blackouts on this side of the I world is that, is that we are ahead of the rest of the pack. Oh, you guys are in, uh, you got like your training wheels off. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, that's, a good way to look. that's a positive way to look at it, right? You figure out how to manage what little power we all have seems like the direction we're going right here in the states i, I saw yeah. who had a uh, a uh, gas generator tethered to his um sorry this is your skype chat that totally messed me up gas generator tethered to his uh ev his electric vehicle because of the same deal rolling blackouts can't charge the car still got to get to work so Pull out the gas generator to charge up the the uh, Tesla, you know. Best. <laughs> um, you said now that uh, my Skype chat messed you up. What what happened there? Was it a technical glitch? Oh no no! I I get a bunch of different apps that chat. You know, we have a signal chat. You know, regular oh. message. Like so, when that chat came by, my mom was trying to figure out who it was because I didn't recognize the name. So I didn't realize you had a live chat going. That was my fault. James, why is prepping important? Because of rolling blackouts. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, well played. For one thing, well played, sir. For one thing, right? Um, you know, there's a million reasons. The state. So, for the longest time, prep, prepping became important to me because a lot of the things that are happening right now people been warning about for a long time you know and and i think the world is just sort of wrapping their head around the fact that uh the sturdy base that we've been on for so long is not so sturdy and they need to rely on themselves a little more you know and uh prepping probably more than any one modality prepping gives you the ability to sort of take whatever kind of self-reliance stuff you want and bring it under your umbrella you know and that's what it's allowed me to do so I think as the world changes and we move from a sort of global economy to more isolated economies, some struggling more than others, people are going to want more control over the things they need day to day, you know, and that's really what prepping gives you. And you actually run a prepping website and you walk the talk. Oh, yeah, yeah. So we uh, prepping is my entire life, basically outside of my family time and, and wife time and all that, um, I'm a freelance writer by day in the prepping world. I own the Prepper Broadcasting Network, which is a 16-host podcast network, all self-reliance and independence-based shows, 16 hosts from all over North America. Um, we're going to be introducing two UK hosts here in the very near future. And, um, yeah, beyond that, you know, this, this, I don't want to pan the camera on and mess everything up, but there's some chickens over here. This is a peach tree and there's, you know, gardens behind me and we do all the prepping things, you know, all that kind of stuff. It's our lifestyle now, you know, over the last decade, it's become our lifestyle and, and my bread and butter also. So it really works. But I mean, the idea of prepping is based in paranoia, isn't it? <laughs> That's a good one. That's a good one. Are you sure you don't work for CBS? No, I'm kidding. <laughs> yeah, so... Well, hang on. So, hang on, hang on, hang on, hang on. When I interviewed John McAfee before he was Epstein, he said to me that he developed antivirus software because he was paranoid, and that paranoia turned out to be a good call. Yeah, okay. I'll go with that. Prepping is different. 
because McAfee was planning for something that was unprecedented, right? And there was nothing to mitigate it. Like, no one was running around like, hey, we're in this new World Wide Web and there might be bad guys on this new in this new dimension. Prepping is just, I mean, read about the 1800s in the world. You know what I mean? We, in this, our generation is so incredibly egotistical that we think we're going to get a hundred years scot-free on this planet because we're supposed to. And we're going to get a wife and a house and kids and we're going to get good health as long as we drink plenty of water and exercise. And maybe the bulk of, of distress that we'll have to deal with is our parents die. And that is just a fairy tale. You know, if you, God bless you if you're lucky enough to experience something like that. But as far as the human, human history is concerned, that couldn't be more further from reality. You know what I mean? It's war, it's natural disaster, it's famine, it's pestilence. It's, that's, it's not me being paranoid about those things. That's the history of affairs with human beings. So I think what a prepper, what a prepper realizes is these things happen. And, and the most important thing a prepper can realize is we're living through an unprecedented time. And things are getting a little bit shaky, more shaky than they've ever been in my life. So I believe that that old way of, of human living and human history is starting to poke through again. And, you know, look at the pandemic of, of 2020, right? I mean, it's, it's almost 100 years to the date was the Spanish flu, which, you know, was one of many pandemics, many uh, just unbelievably deadly viruses and bacteria that killed multitudes of people all throughout his, the history of humanity. You know what I mean? These things just plain happen. States collapse, economies collapse, warfare crushes people. And, you know, it's just us. <laughs> it's what we do. So we prepare for it. That's all. We look at our ancestors and say, hey, let's let's take some action to make sure we don't wind up on the worst side of affairs with that. Because that's the way we do life, right? If you were to summarize prepping, what what would you say? Well, it's the tagline for our network, self-reliance and independence. That's what it is. It's a, it's a, got a wide berth. I always say prep is like a, uh, a river with many tributaries, right? Because you can go down the river of prepping and you can go into homesteading. You can go into bushcrafting. You can go into ultra lightweight hiking and focusing on the bug out. You can turn into a soldier and get into tactical military operations and all that kind of stuff. You can start blacksmithing and learning, you know, long forgotten skills. All of it kind of fits under that umbrella of self-reliance and independence. And uh, it's been a dream, Jerem. It really has. It's opened doors for me that I never would have imagined opening because I wasn't a very masculine or prepared individual when I was younger. So it's really kind of turned that, so, turned that on. So what you're saying is that you've got your man card uh, yeah, I could. I feel good about that. I feel good about that for now. Definitely. <laughs> I mean, yeah, in comparison, to, sure. in comparison to what I well, the moment that turned me into a prepper germ was me. This house behind this phone right now. I was standing at these two double windows, watching Hurricane Irene. There's a big oak tree behind me that's probably forty feet tall, and that oak tree was bending in half. And it was bending in half for like six hours. You know, I don't know if you ever lived through a hurricane, but it's not like gusts. It's a it's a straight line of wind that just goes for hours, like nonstop. And I remember sitting there, the power went out. and I had my son, my son, I was holding my son. He was like a month old, my first kid, right? I'm like 27 or something. And it all hit me at the same time. Like I was a chef and a guitar player and a husband and that was it that was the full like skill set fisherman on the weekends and i realized that uh big changes had to happen you know because i was totally unprepared for this storm totally unprepared for the future and it was just one of those come to jesus moments and from then on you know the, the rest is history as they say you know what i mean but i was definitely unprepared for everything all levels of life so take me through some of the main markers of prepping. Oh, yeah, sure. Well, you know, 
obviously you want to take care of the basics, the fundamentals of, of basic survival and home living. Um, I'll tell you right now, before we jump into the basics, in the prepping world, there's this big concept called bugging out. Some preppers get wrapped up in this idea that they're going to run to another place when things get bad, bug out. It's, you know, it's a lot of work and it takes a lot of planning. It's a good concept. Maybe we'll get into it later. Um, I don't know a single prepper, and I know a lot, um, who has ever bugged out to date. So the reason I'm telling you that is the basics begin with bugging in, which is staying at home, right? All through the pandemic, all through most modern situations and disasters and emergencies, people hunker down in their house. So the basics of preparedness are how, what does that look like? If we have to hunker down at home, what are the things that we need to do? And uh, I always attribute that to something I call our base level of preparedness, right? There's six items in the base level of preparedness, all, all the devised and put together so people can very quickly understand if I got some money or I got some time to prepare, I should affect these six things, all right? And they are water, food, backup power, first aid, security, and evacuation. All right, so if you can affect those, if you have an answer for those six things, then you're going to be much more prepared than the average person, right? And we can go into those basics. That's fine. Those are, uh, but that's not to say that's all you can do. There's so much you can do with prepping. It's unbelievable. But people have to wrap their head around so much when they come into this thing. And it just helps to give them those six things to hyper-focus on, you know? Well, let's unpack some of those six things. So let's start the first one. Okay, sure. Yeah, so uh, tap water is a blessing. Well water is a blessing. It's an amazing thing. Uh, have you ever heard of the phenomenon <laughs> of water wives in India? No, what you is know what that? A wife is a water wife is a, a lady that you marry. So if I'm an Indian man and I have some kids, I'm going to marry me about three to four water wives, right? And what their job is totally is go to the water hole, get water, bring it back. That's the entirety of their life. And they might have a daughter that turns into the water getter because she's not going to school anyway, right? Um, look it up, water wives. It's unbelievable that it happens this day and age, but that's exactly what it is. I'm, I'm moving and to India. You are you? Well, um, you're not going to move somewhere where there's no water item. <laughs> Oh, you mean you want to move there to get some water wise? I'd highly advise against that. Um, because their, I'm, their I'm drinking, water I'm drinking, I'm drinking water right now. Just, their just water gotta... looks like that if you dumped a tablespoon of flour in. It's about that, <laughs> that color. Yeah, it's no, it's no bueno, man, in some parts of India. Um, but anyway, we take tap water and well water. We take clean water for granted, right? And once the tap goes off, it's like wait a second, I'm supposed to have all the water I could ever want ever come out of that faucet and now nothing's coming out. And then the clock starts ticking because you only have three days without water. You know, that's universal for humans. Three days, no water, body starts shutting down, you're probably going to die. Um, and that's a real like reality check. So I always put water at the top of the list because it can go from being something you'd never think about to you got three days. You know what I mean? It's just like that. So uh, probably the best way to affect water in the short term, a week, two weeks, is just to buy it and store it in the home. You know what I mean? Buy it, store it in the home. I recommend buying it in gallon jugs rather than water bottles, cases of water bottles, because uh, you don't know what you're going to use it for, right? You're likely going to use it to cook and to drink and open in a bunch of bottles and pour them in a bathtub or pour them in a whatever, you know, that get tedious. So... You want about two to three gallons of water per person per day is what I'd recommend. I think the FEMA website and most emergency preparedness sites tell you one gallon of water per person per day. If you're going to add personal hygiene into the picture, then you're going to need more. You know what I mean? You're, especially if it's hot, especially if you don't have air conditioning, it's the middle of the summer. Especially if you're in South Africa and there's rolling blackouts. You know what I mean? Then you're going to need, you're going to probably drink more than one. If you're drinking whiskey on top of it, you're going to need to hydrate right so i always say like two to three gallons per person per day is a good metric you know multiply that by the amount of people in your house 
put a couple a week to two weeks worth of water in your house. It just makes sense, right? Yeah, water uh, doesn't really go stale, does it? Takes a long time. You know what'll happen before your water goes stale is the the cheap plastic container it's in will probably start to break, and then you know you'll know because it'll be leaking. You can store tap water also, um, but your tap water will likely have to be retreated before you can drink it again, because tap water is treated with like uh, you know it's basically like a chlorine solution, and that wears off over time, and then bacteria can start growing. So then you treat it again with a bleach solution. We can talk about that if you want. Yeah, well, um, it's, it sounds like a terrible idea, basically, to drink tap water. At all, you mean? Well, yes. I mean, if you're able to, to get filtered water, that seems like a better oh. option. Yeah, yeah. Sure, yeah. If you could put a, you could, you're going to top out, though. You're going to mm. probably out at two weeks of water based on space and weight and location to, uh, to you know, unless you got a big house with a lot of space, you know, and, and really probably a cement paved garage that you could put it in because it gets heavy too. You know, water gets heavy real quick. Um, so one of the things, probably the biggest way to affect water outside of the home is by collecting rainfall. You know, rainfall happens. It happens pretty regularly. Uh, the rain barrels that we have are 55 gallon. You fill one of those up, 55 gallons. Let's say you're doing one gallon a person per day. You know, 55 gallons divided by four people. That's a lot. You know, you got a lot. You got you got a big answer for water if you got a full uh, rain barrel. And that's assuming you drink it all before the next rain or use it all before the next rain. Um, put a few of those on your house. You got a lot of water storage then, and you're in a pretty good place. Uh, the only other thing I would recommend in terms of water preparedness is, you know, in the short term, is uh, having some sort of filtration, right? Some kind of Berkey water filter, some kind of hand pump water filter. They sell those life straws and things like that. I'd stay away from those. Uh, we had some guys do a little mock bug out on the network uh, about a month, two months ago, and they ran out of water. They were scaling the Appalachian Mountains en route to us. And they ran out of water, and what they realized is that it takes a lot of time and a lot of effort to use one of those life straws to get water from a creek, enough that it matters. You know what I mean? So I'd, I'd probably stay away from them. I think they're a little gimmicky in my experience. Uh, but beyond that, having some way to filter it, you know? Obviously, if you can filter and boil water, you can drink water from a lot of different sources, you know? You really only have to worry about chemical contamination at that point. But... That's kind of where you want to be with water at the very least. Some okay. stored indoors, stored outdoors, and the ability to filter it and make it safe to drink. What is number two? Number two is calories, food, right? You want at least 2,000 calories per person per day for your family. That's 8,000 calories for a family of four, right, per day. Sounds like a lot, um, but if you get your hands on a, 50 pound bag of white long grain rice and two 50 pound bag or two 20, two 25 pound bags of uh, pinto beans and black beans. That's 80,000 calories right there. So, you know, as you can start to build that calorie count up pretty quickly, if you know what to buy and what to store. If you really want to get crazy, I'll tell you a little calculation that I figured out, a, a quick little uh, sort of saying that I offer up to our listeners all the time. Um, it takes three to feed four. So remember, it takes three to feed four. It takes three million calories to feed a family of four for one year. Three for four. Uh, it's a good way to remember that. Now, I don't know how many people are planning on putting enough, up enough food for a year, this is what I can tell you about my experience with putting food up. And what I mean by that is long-term food storage. When you store lots of food and have the ability to grow food and, and you know produce food, the anxiety level on food shortage stories and stories about crop failures and so on and so forth goes way down. And it's mm. good for your mental health and stability. Okay. You know, that's the added bonus of prepping that people don't ever talk about. It's the mental well-being of being able to say, the headlines are shit, but you know what? We're ready. And there's some 
unbelievable benefits in that. So um, some tips on food storage within those 8,000 calories per person per or per family of four per day, 2,000 per person. And you can up that or lower that. You know, you can't really go below like 1,200 or you'll starve to death, particularly in a disaster, right? Because you're going to be doing physical stuff, I'm sure. Um, buy what you like, store what you like, right? If you're going to store frozen meat and things like that, then you better have a way to keep that freezer on. Uh, but you want to focus on shelf-stable foods. That's the best way to go. We pack up our own long-term food storage so that we can store lots of food in buckets. You know what I mean? That way we have a lot of food that doesn't have to sit in a pantry or take up space on a shelf. Um, and that's really easy to do. It sounds weird. It sounds like something that would be complex, but really it just takes mylar bags and oxygen absorbers. You seal the bags up with, with shelf-stable foods and they go in a five-gallon bucket. But I know guys who just throw bags of beans that you buy at the supermarket in a five-gallon bucket with the oxygen absorber and seal it, and then they put that thing up. So I don't know how that'll serve them in the long run. I know one thing for, is for sure, we will eat. <laughs> we will eat no matter what the food shortages turn out to be. You know what I mean? Because of the way we do it with the Mylar bags and everything. Um, so storing what you like to eat is imperative right? Storing it in a way that it's going to last for a long time, rotating your stock and making sure that it's, it's all there when you need it most. And how long does it sit? Well, it all depends. So food is a many tiered thing, right? This is food out here. Uh, growing stuff is food. Knowing what trees and plants are, are, are available as food in the wild, that's another tier of food. But when you're talking about how long things last, um, there's kind of two things to consider in that, right? The first is what you buy at the supermarket. What you buy at the supermarket has a shelf life. It has the packaging itself has a shelf life, right? I mean, I've held on to stuff that has literally the packaging is deteriorated off of it. So you got to repack it. Um, things like dry beans, they'll outlast their package, dry rice sometimes too. Um, but anyway, so those foods that you buy, uh, the shelf life, the, the date on them is kind of, purposeless best buy dates i don't know if you know this but best buy dates i was in the food industry for a long time many levels of the food industry the best buy date is a representation is how you get the best representation of that food the way the company wants to taste so in other words you guys have oreo cookies mm. best buy date on an oreo cookie is telling you If you eat the Oreo by that date, it will taste the way Oreo wants it to taste. After that date, they're off the hook. It's not going to taste as good as an Oreo can taste. Doesn't mean you can't eat it, right? So that's shelf-stable stuff. That's you know dry food, canned food that you can buy at the supermarket. Your food that you store long-term with the Mylar bags and oxygen absorbers, um, that food, I mean, the estimates and and things of that nature are 20 to 25 years shelf life rice beans uh i wouldn't i wouldn't expect that out of dry pasta though i pack pasta that way flour um sugar sugars last forever uh but those types of things will last that long i i suspect things like dry beans and rice if the oxygen's taken out of them probably last way long you know? what about what about tinned food Yeah, canned food is canned food. A lot of it, especially if it's like canned meat, has a tremendous shelf life already. I don't know if you ever looked at a can of sardines or, you know, a can of spam or something like that. But a lot of times, if I go grab one of my cans of, I like canned mackerel a lot. I don't know why. It's just a real. There's a really good brand and a really good. I eat it for lunch when I don't cook lunch because it's really healthy. You know, outside of the mercury poisoning me. Um. <laughs> but that stuff's probably good till 2025, 2027, as is. You know what I mean? Like, that's the date on the can. If it's a non-acidic food item, in other words, if the contents aren't high in acidity, right, like a tomato-based or a fruit-based kind of thing, um, you can add five years to the shelf life on that canned item. And that's because the, the actual shelf life where the food becomes dangerous is based on 
how long it takes to eat the inner lining of the can away. Once that inner lining on the can is gone, your food's going to touch the tin or the aluminum directly. And then there's potential for contamination because uh, it can be reactive, right? You could have heavy metal contamination. So you could get a long time off those non-acidic foods um, like canned beans and canned meats and canned fish. It lasts a really long time. Um, high, highly acidic items, canned fruits, you know, tomato-based soups, sauces, diced tomatoes. You can really only get like 18 months past the best buy date on those. So they don't have as long a shelf life. Um, but everything's got at least a couple years. So what you want to do when managing tinned food or canned food is you put it on a rotation, right? Again, we're buying things that we like and we eat on a regular basis. That's like food storage 101. So what that means is if I put a can of that mackerel that I really like on the shelf, I really like it. So I'm going to eat it long before it goes bad anyway. So you, your pantry items, we call it your prepper pantry, your pantry items, they're on a constant first in, first out rotation, right? They're always being eaten and then new stuff's being purchased. You just got a lot of it. You know what I mean? So you got to you gotta maintain it. But um, you want it to be food that you eat all the time so you can rotate. Okay. Now, complex, not that hard. Let's go to number three. All right, backup power. Backup. <laughs> backup. <laughs> not a word. Not a word from you. <laughs> I looked at the clock. <laughs> yeah, so backup power is, uh, it wasn't one of the earliest ones I adopted when I wrote this list up, but I came to realize that as at least as Americans, and I'm sure as South Africans too, we like power, man. You know what I mean? We want electricity and, and we want to power our phones and our TVs and, you know, all those kinds of things. And, you know, to another real sort of hard honesty that that preppers and survivalist types have to come to is um, you need your phone. You know what I mean? You, your cell phone is just a force multiplier like nothing else in the world. Right. You can get intel on it. You can contact people on it. You can you can. <laughs> identify wild plants with it. You can do anything with that thing. So to power it makes a lot of sense, you know, even though we're, we speak disparaging about our phones because we can't get off. Um, so backup power is just that concept. It's the concept of the lights went out. What do I have on hand to, to turn them back on? You know, and that could be as that can be as simple as um, a backup battery, a power bank to charge your cell phone and some flashlights, you know, or that can be a solar array out in the yard or a gas-powered generator. You know what I mean? Um, I highly recommend gas-powered generators because petroleum is cheap and easy. You know what I mean? It's cheap and easy to hold on to, and so, well, for now, anyway. Yeah, sorry. Just to interrupt you, you said gas power. I know that uh, in the United States, gas means gasoline, right? Not We're not talking about gas as in the, the air. Sure. Yeah. Gasoline powered. Um, but you can nowadays they have tri-fuel generators that I think are probably worth the investment for preppers overseas because they run on petrol, petroleum, gasoline. They run on uh, natural gas and they run on diesel. So no matter no matter what kind of fuel you got, you can find a gas generator. These tri-fuel fuel generators will run on that. Because I know some countries in, in Europe, they can get their hands on more natural gas more easily sometimes. So it might be a, uh, a thing to consider. But for, for our purposes here in the States, yeah, I own a, I own a gas, gasoline-powered generator. And uh, it's a 5,500-watt gasoline-powered generator. It's a beast. You know what I mean? It does everything I need it to do in a power outage. Um, it's a short-term power outage option, obviously. And I don't know that a super superior long-term electricity option really exists. You know what I mean? Even solar panels have the potential to be damaged. And, you know, what are you going to do after that? You know what I mean? If, if we're in a situation where the power has gone out and it's never coming back on again, solar flare, right, something like that, 
once your generator's out of gas and your solar panels get wrecked by hail or storm or something like that, you're pretty much done with electricity. You know, it's that's a real tough one to fix on your own or, or you know, replicate. So short term, ba- the backup powers for dealing with natural disasters and stuff like that, and essentially in the short term, hurry up, and- get lights on, entertainment, you know, that kind of stuff. Yeah, and your emphasis is also on mobility of of that backup power. Yeah, mobility of the power is very important. It's very important because, uh, you know, you got to take it to where you need it, right? It's got to go where you need it. My, my generator's on wheels for that reason in particular because you wouldn't be able to move it if it weren't. It's too big, too heavy. Um, you know, for, for the cold weather months probably worth discussing because we're on the heels um i've had a lot of success with a twenty thousand btu kerosene heater these kerosene heaters i don't know their availability all over the world but and i don't know the availability of white kerosene either um but it's a really an awesome heater you know when everything's you know power's out snow on the ground cold temperatures we we light the fireplace up we put the kerosene heater on and we're warm and that, you know, that's something that a lot of nations, particularly European nations, are going to struggle with this year. There's no doubt about it. It's going to be cold <laughs> in Europe this year, for sure. So, yeah, having some kind of backup power plan is a big one. One of the things that we have, Germ, that's really easy to put together is a little Pelican case with batteries, flashlights, power banks, and uh, some really cool USB LEDs. Just so that anybody in my house can go grab that thing when the power goes out, and we got light at the very least. You know, if the power goes out and it's pitch dark in the house, the kids know where it is, wife knows where's it, where's it, where's it at, goes and grabs it, opens it up. There's lights in there that are powered, and then we can move into the next phase of the plan. But that's a good starter uh, for anybody who wants to have an answer for power outage. Okay, what is number four? So number four is uh, first aid. First aid is a hit or miss with people. Mm. So from my experience, it's hit or miss. Some people love it. They're into it. They want to learn all about it. Some people are like, I don't even care. <laughs> I don't want to go take classes. I don't want to learn how to do CPR. I damn sure don't want to buy a bunch of first aid, you know, materials that I need to learn about. Um, I'm probably somewhere in between because I understand the value of saving life the under you know i understand the value of stopping people from bleeding to death and how regularly that can happen so <clears throat> i think it's a lot of it starts with uh sort of figuring out where you're at on the spectrum you know what i mean what do you know what don't you know what do you value what don't you value now and the good thing for us germ this day and age particularly in america is our kids are getting shot up in school all the time so we're learning a lot about how people bleed out you know what I mean? And it happens. It happens fast. So <clears throat> I think a lot of people are starting to understand, like, just because there's an ambulance doesn't mean it's going to get there in time, you know? And that's a big lesson for people to learn. Most of the time, people have to learn that the hardest way you can learn it, which is the ambulance didn't come in time. Uh, so I think a lot of it starts with figuring out where you're at. Then it starts with learning, right? And I always recommend the Prepper's Medical Handbook by Dr. William Forge. I think it's one of the smallest and most effective first aid handbooks that you can have. Um, and you got to have that information, you know, and you want it in hard copy. You don't want to have it on your phone. You don't want to have it in your computer because we just talked about backup power, right? Those things get turned off. Um, and from there, you got to, you got to invest in a, in a real first aid kit for your home. And sometimes, you know, sometimes that, that involves building a first aid kit, which kind of sounds crazy until you read a book about first aid or, or start to figure out what the imminent threats are in your family, right? And what things you value. You know, one of the big things that we have on hand all the time are SWAT tees, which are tourniquets, tourniquets to stop bleeding, pressure bandages to stop bleeding, because I have two sons, you know what I mean? And my wife is basically... Uh, so much a roughneck she's halfway a man too so we get injured you know what i mean and and if it ever turns out to be one of those kind of injuries where blood's pouring out of people we got to be able to stop it 
um, disinfection, you know, all that kind of stuff's important. Most first aid kits that you buy at retail locations are pretty crap. The band-aids are usually terrible. They don't hardly work. And there's not a lot of stuff in there um, worth talking about. There's a company out of Australia uh, that that does survival first aid. It's called, I think that I'm pretty sure it's called survival first aid. And that's the kit that I have. It's an amazing kit. It comes with a, a tourniquet. It's the family survival first aid kit. It's a real first aid kit. You know, if you don't want to invest in a real first aid kit, I'd at least get a look at one as for the average person, you know, go to one of these outdoor shows or prepper shows or something like that. Or uh, contact somebody who sells them locally and get a look at what one should look like. It shouldn't be a plastic box that looks like a lunchbox that has like a bunch of packets of moist towelettes and band-aids. You know what I mean? You're not going to get too far. Um, but those things are kind of great starting points for the average person, right? Figure out what you know, what you want to learn. Get a get a resource. Get a real first aid kit for the house, and from there. You can go as deep with first aid as, as, as you want. You know, it's, it's one of those things. James, are you saying that I must throw out my, my Smurf, uh, my Smurf plasters? Oh no, if they work, <laughs> I got goofy dupe ones in the house that work really well. And my little know? pony. Yeah. <laughs> 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 You know a bad Band-Aid when you get it, you know? And Band-Aids are, to be honest, the Band-Aid is for superficial wounds primarily, right? It's like for one of those cuts that, you know, you can cover it, but you, do you really have to? If it's if it's a cut that you're worried about really getting infected, mm. um, that's where we store things like bandages, like rolled gauze, like medical tape, right? Those things you can never have enough of. Because if you're really worried about a wound taking a long time to heal, that's what you're going to use. You know, you're not going to reach for the band-aids if you've got <laughs> if you got a serious wound. You're going to use just like a doctor would. You know, he's going to put a bandage on it. He's going to wrap it in medical tape. He's going to tell you to change it every so often. And uh, you know, that's how that goes. Just off topic for a moment. Um, sure. I don't know if you remember um, a number of years ago where they would sell those plasters or band-aids um and they would call them skin color but they've changed that now because <laughs> it's become politically correct and you can't say skin color anymore <laughs> i'm always infatuated by what what people think other people get mad about <laughs> that's what i think of that stuff in in my country i say there's some there's some white woman up there in corporate who yes. thinks she knows what what black people are really upset about? <laughs> she's gonna <laughs> she's gonna change the color of band aids as if that will affect their life some way positively. Band aid lives matter, James. Oh, oh man! My son got sent home with a nut with a. <laughs> I think it was my <laughs> oldest first grade class. He got sent. I still have him. I, I'll never get rid of him. He got sent home with a a box of markers that were called multicultural markers and they were marked <laughs> with varying skin color. I couldn't believe it. I said, well, you know, my son's problems are solved for life. He can now color in multi <laughs> ethnicities. Yeah. The things we uh, worry about. Okay. Number five. Okay. Number five security. Security is a big one, man, and it's getting bigger day by day, day by day, at least to here. I don't know how you guys are faring, but uh, the criminals know that the police are. Dude, I uh, live in Africa. Uh, yeah, good this, <laughs> <laughs> When When, when, we, when you, know, you know that you are on an airplane flight with somebody from South Africa when you see that their luggage is wrapped in bubble wrap. Oh, wow. <laughs> Rap, oh. <laughs> you know, Chuck. Yeah, what um, what's the what's the name? They call the white people something in South Africa. What is it? I used to rail about South Africa a few years ago because you guys had that crazy racist come into power, and he was talking about 
taking all the farmland and stuff like that from the white folks. And I was oh, that's like, Julius. Oh. You're you're talking about Julius Malema, but he wasn't in power. He's 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 the third, the third large. He's the leader of the third largest party, and okay, he's still that... and he's still very vocal. Oh, wow. He just. He just won a uh, his party just won a court case uh, about a week or two ago, um, in which a song that they sing at big big uh, political rallies um, it was found not to be hate speech, and that song that they sing is uh, "Kill the Boer," okay. which which means "Kill the Farmer." <laughs> of course, it's not hate speech. <laughs> of course, it's. Yeah, kill the farmer. That's reminiscent of another leader of uh, <laughs> of the and, past. Right? And the majority of South African farmers are white, which is why it's <laughs> very contentious. <laughs> All I can see is Stalin, but with darker skin. Yes. But, uh, kill okay, the so farmer. back so back to security. I'm guessing that also includes guns and 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 knowing how to fight. Yeah, definitely that could be in there. You know, one of the we just did a big master class for our members over at PBN, and we we one of the big things we covered in that security master class was the five D's of defense, right? Maybe we'll just talk about three D's of defense since we're, we've limited time. Um, but the, there's only one that involves guns and stuff, and that's defend, right? That's usually the last possible thing that you get into. And defend doesn't necessarily have to involve guns, but you got to have a defend plan. Um, so the three D's of defense are deter, detect, defend. Okay, you wanna you wanna be able to know when somebody's around who's gonna cause you harm, right? Lurking around the home, whatever the situation may be. Bless you. And you wanna know. <laughs> you wanna... <laughs> I was hoping you didn't see. <laughs> anyway, don't worry about it. Go on. And uh, again, you you want to be able to detect a person to see, you know, what's going on. Is there a threat in your area? You want to be able to deter that person ideally, right? And a deterrent is just a way, a way to make someone go away without them having to interact with you directly, right? Simple deterrent. We have, we love pit bulls. We love them. We've always loved them, my wife and I. We have three of them. You know what I mean? So a simple deterrent, if someone's traveling around my neighborhood in a car, figuring out who do I want to rob today? A good deterrent is them to look in the backyard and see these big 70 pound pit bulls and go, we'll go to the next house. You know what I mean? That's that's a deterrent just to make it sort of a little simpler. Um, so you want to be able to detect, you want to be able to deter, and then you want to have a game plan for when none of that works. Right. You know, there's a bad guy around. The bad guy knows that, you know. He's decided, even though you have deterrence in place, that he's going to get in that house anyway. And uh, what now? You know, because a lot of people live in that realm of fantasy. <laughs> they, they, they Sorry. Land when it defend. <laughs> oh, that's okay. It's all right. So I don't mean to sneeze in front of you. <laughs> not allowed to do that in South Africa because that's not a big deal here. You could sneeze all you want. Uh, you're not hurting my feelings. No, but it's. I don't think it's very professional to do it during a live uh, recording. <laughs> you didn't anyway. say that. Me. <laughs> so uh, there's a lot of fantasy when it comes to the defend aspect of things, right? Like, I'm sure in your mind, you think like, if someone ever breaks into my house, they're going to get the beating of their life, right? And... Uh, most people think that, you know what I mean, until it happens, and then they panic. So it's good to have uh, a game plan for that, you know, whatever that looks like. That's a conversation you got to have with your family and yourself, right? Even even if you're in a country where you can own firearms, does someone breaking in your house mean you're going to grab your firearm and run downstairs to confront them? Because that might not be a great plan, you know? Yeah, you know your house, but what if they know your house too and they just ambush and shoot you dead in your living room? Um or what if you run downstairs with a firearm and, and you catch the guy and you kill him and he's 14, which is not uncommon lately in this country for 14-year-old African-American boys to be getting into serious crimes. So all that stuff you got to take into consideration. You know what I mean? And that's sort of your defend plan with security. So security is covers your house, covers your person, 
It should cover your community. You should have a game plan for all I, those things. I'm guessing this also is extremely psychological, this defense thing, because it's okay for us to talk smack. But when oh, yeah. we are but when we are in the situation and that we have no experience, we fall apart. Did I tell you the story? I don't think I told you the story about when we thought someone broke in our house. No, tell me. I'll tell you the abbreviated version, just so you know. <laughs> so we have plans. <laughs> We're preppers. We have guns. Oh, my. And uh, one night in the middle of the, in the darkness of the eve, right, my wife gets up out of bed. I don't know what she's doing. She gets up out of bed, walks to the bedroom door. I wake up. I sleep very light, so it's rare that she gets up and I don't know it. She's at the door at the doorway. My son appears at the doorway, but she can't see because she needs glasses and contacts. So being half awake, having this person appear at the doorway, she falls back on her butt. So I look and see my wife's been pushed down by someone who's broken into the house. Right. Because I'm just coming up out of sleep. I don't do anything I plan to do in that moment. This is where the story's important. We all have plans, right? I don't do anything that I plan to do. I immediately leap up out of the bed, except I'm under covers, and we have 70-pound pit bulls that lay on top of the covers, right? So I only get like 90% of my leg out of the cover and get tangled in it, fall on my face onto the floor, <laughs> onto the floor. So now my wife and myself are on the floor, which is about as good a defensive failure. as. <laughs> right? And that's the type of thing that happens in the middle of the night when someone breaks into your house. You know what I mean? It's not like night vision on, rifle, yes. you know what I mean? Go to work. You, you wake up out of a groggy stupor and you make mistakes, you know? So it, that was a big learning opportunity for me. It was like, whoa, if this were real... I'd be getting stomped in the head. She'd be getting stomped in the head. And uh, we'd have to head to secondary planning here and hope we can make it out of this thing. You but know? How, do you, how do you deal with that? Because you have to then, I suppose, create experimental scenarios. Yeah, well, yeah, simulation is big. Simulation is huge, man. Um, but there's a level of... I'll tell you what I think is is... I think one of the best things that you can do is have some sort of experience under real pressure. And, and, you know, that's hard for the average person this day and age. You know, my wife can perform amazing feats because she was a athlete her whole life, a high level athlete. You know, she has that super stress achieving super stressful levels. You know what I mean? And I was a chef for a long time and it, it was a, the same thing. You know what I mean? It's like, super stress you got to make it happen and you just you get good at it and i think that understanding how to deal with that is really where the <laughs> where the bread gets buttered you know what i mean oh i had my microphone off there for a second okay so we have covered five now we can head to number six which is mobility yeah evacuation evacuation which uh every every year it's hurricane season now here in the u.s and every year there's thousands of people who say we're gonna ride this hurricane out i've lived here 50 years it's not gonna be that bad and then they get lifted out of their house from a helicopter because it got that bad you know what i mean evacuation is a viable option that everyone should have because a lot of threats we can see coming, particularly natural disasters, you know, there are not that many natural disasters that happen out of nowhere. You know what I mean? Like, you'll know that punishing flooding rains are coming. You'll know that this thunderstorm has the potential to spawn tornadoes. There's going to be a hurricane in a week. There's going to be, you know what I mean? So really building an evacuation plan is, I mean, it's paramount because a lot of times you're going to have a lot of time to figure out what are we going to do? Are we going to stay or are we going to go? And uh, it's good to have the, you know, the documentation and the things you need to go, a fund, enough cash, in other words, or money to go to a place 
you know, even if you're going to a family member's place, it's not like you want to show up empty handed and be like, we're just going to eat off your food and live off your <laughs> power for the next week or whatever. Um, and it's good to have a place to go in several directions. You know, it's good to have an evacuation plan, north, south, east and west hotels you like to go to people, you know, that kind of thing. So that evacuation can kind of happen without going, I don't know what we're going to do, but we got to go somewhere. But I mean, isn't that also tightly correlated to where you choose to live? Oh, for sure. Yeah. Well, that's, that's a, a, a prepping basic, which is, um, we call it like threat analysis, you know, understanding your threat matrix. That's what really cool preppers say, say stuff like that threat matrix. But yeah, it's just knowing, you know, what kind of st <laughs> what kind of stuff is going to affect you. You know what I mean? Like you probably have your set of natural disasters that you deal with all the time. I have mine here in Virginia on the East Coast. And uh, you got to know those things in order to prepare effectively for them. You know, no good for me to prepare for volcanoes or, you know what I mean, earthquakes because they so rarely happen. Um you wouldn't want to spend a large chunk of your prepping dollars preparing for something that doesn't happen in your area. You know yeah, what I mean? I, yeah, and I mean, what I was alluding to also is um, the area that you choose. I mean, if you are in the CBD, uh, as opposed to, say, the countryside, you have a whole different set of variables to deal with. Sure, yeah. Yeah, and to be honest, um, I think there's threats in both. I don't think that one is necessarily better than the other unless you're in a massively populated city. I'd say to live in a massively populated city this day and age, you got balls. That's what I'll say. Either that or you're <laughs> you're just dangerous because it's uh, that seems scary to me. But suburbs or, or um, countryside, you know, one of the biggest concerns I have right now is a lot of my people, a lot of my hosts and stuff, and, and listeners live out far out and they're getting whacked on gas. It's brutal. You know what I mean? And if gas made it to $5 here in the U S I don't know what kind of effect that would have on people living rural, living rurally is like, you need to drive an hour one way to the supermarket sometimes, you know, or an hour round trip even. And that's a lot on $5 a gallon gas on a limited income. So, uh, yeah, there's benefits, you know, there's benefits to both, I think. Okay, so the six things you covered were? Water, food, backup power, first aid, security, and evacuation. Right. Yeah. Now. Fill those buckets, and you'll be able to weather most anything, at least for the short term. Okay, James, what is your EDC? Uh, for those who don't know, everyday carry. My ADC is crazy, man. <laughs> it's crazy because it's number one. I'm I'm big into physical fitness, um, and and I don't like to be burdened down by button-up t-shirts and collared shirts and suits. And I also don't like to be burdened by like long pants, particularly in the summer. I love the summer in Virginia. I like being hot. Um, so I'm not one of these guys that carries a bunch of cool tools in his pockets. Um, what I do is I carry a sling bag by a company called 3V Gear. It's called the Outlaw Slinger. They're a great company in Utah. Uh, and that Outlaw Slinger is filled with everything from cool guy gadgets and gear like uh, like a Silcock key. Look it up. It's a cool little key that gives you access to all kinds of weird stuff. Water, gas lines, elevator cars, train cars, that kind of stuff. Um obviously a handgun but i also have things in there like you know games for my kids to play because i'm with my kids all the time and you know my edc is about my life it's not about an instagram post you know what i mean like i'm not splaying out my edc so other cool guys can be like i like your cool stuff you got the coolest stuff I don't care about that really. So, and the other thing I do is I fish all the time, Germ. So my bag also has tons of fishing lures in it, line, everything I need to stop at a at a spot and get fishing. Um, but you know the cool stuff, multi tool. I carry a couple Kershaw knives on me every day. Um, 
like I said, a nine millimeter uh, tourniquet all the time, tourniquet in the bag. Um, O-Light S1R flashlight, uh, black gloves. Yeah, you know, kind of run of the mill, a water bottle all the time. That's pretty much it, you know, it's as far as the, uh, you know, the Instagram stuff goes. Uh, what uh, what gun do you carry? I carry a pretty small nine millimeter, actually, on the regular. It's a uh, it's a sissy nine um, CCP and it's got a, a red dot sight on it, which is pretty cool. That's new for me. For a long time, I carried a gun just with iron sights, um, but it's a smaller gun. We've got a lot of gun control restriction things happening here in the country, so I wanted to I wanted to have a firearm that was less than ten rounds in the magazine, just in case we get to the point where, you know, you can't carry a firearm with ten plus rounds in the magazine. Now I have an option. So, and it's cool. It's small. It's easy to carry on my belt when I do wear a belt. I used to carry a Ruger P95, which is a much bigger gun, much more substantial, more more uh, rounds of ammunition. Uh, it's a great gun. I still carry it sometimes, but this one but, I fits mean, my life a little better. Yeah, I mean, guns tend to pull your pants down anyway, so you do want something slightly lighter and smaller. Yeah, I mean, you need a real belt. You know what I mean? You, I guess yeah. that's part of my too is i have a real belt and what i mean by a real belt is uh, a gun belt you know what i mean it's not a leather belt it's a gun belt it's like a seat belt it's like a fortified seat belt that it goes around my waist and uh yeah your gun won't pull your pants down with one of them <laughs> i can promise you that uh, you said you carry a couple knives in you yeah i carry uh two kershaw blades one is a kershaw link the other one, I don't know what it is. It was like a Kershaw on sale. I'm all Kershaw all the time. I like what they do. Um, for those of you who don't know, they do an American Kershaw and then a foreign Kershaw. I don't know who makes the other one, but they sometimes make models in both. So when you've got a lot of money, you can buy the American one. And when you don't, you can buy the foreign one and it's a lot, a lot cheaper. Um, so sometimes I have American made, sometimes I don't. I didn't hear you say anything about carrying a, a multi-tool. I, I carry a Leatherman on me. Yeah, I carry a multi-tool. It's 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 coming on like eight years old. And I bought Gee. it at a... Yeah, I, <laughs> I bought it at a tractor supply with my son. And the only reason I bought it is because it was a two-pack. It was like a big one and a little one. And he just got his first tackle box. And I said, put this in your tackle box because it's great for getting hooks out of fish mouth, you know, the pliers. And, uh, you know, I thought it would like, you know, you, you buy things sometimes with kids. It's like, who cares if it works for a week or not? It's just something we're doing together. I figured in a year it would be trash and uh, it still works fine. So, you know, that's my, I don't know. It's no brand there's no brand on it whatsoever it's red and tarnished um but it's got all the stuff it's got a saw blade it's got a you know a couple different blades pliers corkscrew you know screwdrivers all that kind of stuff perfect for me does everything i needed to do uh we didn't really touch on this but maybe we can now quickly but although it's quite fun to you know prep and to have all the all the stuff and feel quite um self-reliant but there's also an incredibly powerful psychology behind it too elaborate well you feel more empowered just by virtue of the fact that you're trying to become self-reliant oh yeah oh oh yeah oh mm. when you yeah looking out onto the scope of people some squirrels fighting back there but looking out onto the scope you know of people and watching this wave of what's happening in the world hit them for the first time and then being at base level and like i don't know what i'm gonna do like i don't i didn't know what i was gonna do with my life before all this and now all this yeah it's it's like being on the total in a total another dimension for sure 
because you've already thought through a lot of this stuff. You've already taken action to deal with a lot of it. I mean, there's always the reality germ that things can happen that are way out of your control and you can't prepare for, right? There's those realities, but yeah, it's, you get to the point where you start to realize that you can do anything. You can just do anything you want. You know what I mean? In terms of learning and, and, and prepping, like, it's just a matter of figuring out what you want to do, learning how to do it, putting the time in and maybe talking to a few people who've already done it. And that's incredibly empowering this day and age where we have to call for what we need, or we have to order what we need online, or we have to, you know, that, that sort of unbelievably dangerous, but comfortable and convenient lifestyle that we live, you know? Yeah. I mean, so, that is essentially what you're talking about, the white pill. It's about winning. It's about not relying on the state. Oh, definitely. Yeah, that's what I mean. And ha and being and also being smart enough to know that there are things you're always going to rely on, you know. So don't get wrapped up in the fantasy that you're going to move out into the mountains and never have to come down for anything. Right. Like I. I know a great lady named Sam Biggers who lives in the mountains of North Carolina who is about as self-sufficient as a human can get. She's pretty damn close. And one of the first things she ever taught me was no one's ever going to be 100% self-sufficient and live the kind of lifestyle that we're used to live, you know? And she said, you know, no one's going to be self-sufficient, period. Because, you know, if you're going to work land... Fundamentally, if you're going to work land to feed yourself, then you're going to need gasoline and you're not going to make gasoline. You know, that's never going to happen. <laughs> and if you're going to homestead out in the hinterlands, you're going to use propane for a lot of things, too. So in, until you start mining, drilling for oil, you know, that kind of stuff. Yeah, there's a level of dependency that's going to always exist. You know, you said homesteading and that immediately triggered another thought to my mind. Um, and that is the importance of, although not everybody can grow all vegetables and farm animals, it's a pretty good idea to try and have some vegetables of your own. Yeah, sure. It's a skill set. You know what mm. I mean? i tell you what I think is more valuable. There's a lot of conversations about this in prepping for people stuck in apartments. They do things like trellis gardening and that kind of stuff. If I were in a densely populated area and had no room, um, I would take more of an advantage of farmers markets and, and local growers because there's a lot of cool programs that those guys are doing to deliver stuff to you, to set stuff up for you to pick up. And, and those deliveries are outside of the supermarket, right? So if the state decides you can't go to the supermarket for some reason or whatever, or if the supermarket shuts down, remember those farms, they still got to grow. You know what I mean? They still got to pay the bills. So they're, they're inclined to have food even when the supermarkets don't um, because of some kind of disaster or calamity, right? Shipping, hacking, whatever. Okay, James, let's send some traffic your way. Uh, give me some information for promoing you. Oh, yeah, sure. Uh, our base of operations is basically prepperbroadcasting.com. But the, uh, the network, the podcast can be had, you know, wherever podcasts are. Just look up Prepper Broadcasting Network or just Prepper Broadcasting will come up. We're pretty high up there, even if you just search Prepper. But um, PrepperBroadcasting.com is the site. And it's, it, it's become more of a resource in the last couple months. Um, we got a lot of opportunities up there. We talked about first aid. We have that book I was talking about at the website. They're one of our sponsors. And we also have access to everything in that book. So you can buy every single thing that's in that book if you want to build your own first aid kit. And that's, that's a big deal for the average person who can't get their hands on a book. But um, yeah, prepperbroadcasting.com is the best way to find us. Uh, visit the website, check us out, listen to the shows. And, and if you really want to get deep, um, we have a membership side of things that it's very affordable. I mean, it's less than what you spend on probably any coffee or anything like that um, in a in a a week or maybe even <laughs> one time. Um, and one of the things that we're doing with our members that's going to start on Monday 
is we're going to cure a big leg of pig. And we're going to hang that leg for six months. <laughs> and then you're going to eat it. Okay. And you're going to be fine. And I'll teach you how to do that. That's actually something I learned in my chef days. But it's an amazing way to preserve meat for six months. You know what I mean? Without refrigeration. So, again, forgotten ways of being human. You know what I mean? I've got... Um... I've got your podcast open in front of me, the Prepper Broadcasting Network. Um, it's been a pretty good week. It's been a pretty good week. Uh, but what's funny is the category that it falls under, philosophy. <laughs> Probably my. I don't like those things. I don't like. I hate those kinds of questions. You know what I mean? What category is your podcast? Everything. What do you mean? What category? What am I going to put it? In? <laughs> You know what I mean? That's pretty good, though. I didn't even know it was in philosophy. If you ever listened to my show, then you would be like, yeah, it, that makes sense. I did a show on Wednesday called What is a Prepper? And if it wasn't, it was both history and philosophy all in one. <laughs> good uh, time, though. What is a prepper? Am I on the same? Um, I hope I'm on the same one, yeah? No, it says we have moved. No, maybe I'm on the wrong one, yeah. Has it changed oh, to... Yeah iTunes, we have an old iTunes account that I can't get deleted. Um, so you might be, you might need to go on the other one. The other, probably one is, two. the other one is called Prepper Podcast Radio Network. Oh, that's not us. That's somebody else. I didn't even know they were around still, though. I actually podcasted there in the early days, too. No, then I'm, I'm struggling to find your new one on, um, on Apple. I'm going to cut this out of the, out of the upload, but I'm struggling to find oh. your, uh, your podcast on Apple. I've got it open in front of me. Prepper Give me the name again. Prepper Broadcasting Network. So strange. All right, hold on. Hang on, hang on, hang on, hang on. Prepper. I'm doing it right now. The Prepper Broadcasting Network. Apple over there for something we said. I don't. I don't see it on Apple. You must. You must go have a look after this. After the show, and then. Um, I'm going to cut all this out of the out of the video because it's obviously dead space. But I don't see it in in Apple at the moment. I'll check it out. Something might have happened. They do those changes of terms and policy, and sometimes mm. you got to go in and fix something. And if you don't, then you know. But I appreciate the heads up. I'm not an Apple guy, so I never see that stuff. Okay. Uh, Let's do my last question that I ask everybody. Well, I don't ask everybody, but I am asking everybody now because it's a fun question to ask. Okay, James, in the information war, on the battleground, where do you position yourself? In the, the battleground? Uh, I guess I'm a recruiter, largely, you know? I'm trying to recruit people and invite them into uh, my world so I can show them how much power they have and how much they can affect the world. Uh, because, you know, if you listen to our network for any, any duration, you'll come to learn that I believe that prepping has what it takes to save the world. You know, <laughs> I really do. Um, because it's not the prepping, it's the people, you know. Your power the people. And, uh, yeah, I think they can do basically whatever they want. You know, step one take the machete out and hack this tyranny down a little bit because it's getting dense around the world. So, yeah, I'm basically a recruiter on the battlefield. James Walton, thank you for joining me in the trenches. Thanks, Germ. It's been a ball, man, as usual. Don't go anywhere. My name is Germ. This is Germ Warfare, the battle of ideas. If you enjoyed this podcast, please visit supportgerm.com.